that point in my career, I was on a team with four other people, and we had this meeting every morning. May worked for many years at an international financial firm. I remember always feeling nervous in the meeting. I never knew what to say, and I was terrible at self-promotion. But here's the thing. May wasn't a junior employee. She was in a mid-to-senior position. And the other three people at my level, who all were men, seemed to know exactly how to handle this meeting. And I think I allowed it to intimidate me. So this is what would happen when it was her turn. If somebody called on me when it was my turn, I would kind of squeak out, nothing new. Despite her position, despite her experience, despite all of her hard work, May didn't know how to stand out. And it made me feel like an outsider, like uh, somebody that didn't belong. This is For the Love of Work, an original podcast about the employee experience made possible by Rogers. My name is Sonia Kang. I'm a professor of organizational behavior, and I study the psychology of people at work. In this episode, we're going to explore how you can stand out at work. For younger employees, it can mean the difference between getting the job or not, or if you get the job, seeing it lead to the right career. For mid and later career employees, the stakes get higher. When you don't have the words to say, it just is such a huge barrier to just go into somebody very senior's office and talk about either your raise or your promotion or getting on a bigger project. So we're asking a wide range of experts and employees who have figured it out how you can stand out at every point on the employee journey. It was really draining, constantly going over and over in your mind or worrying about something, being anxious about something. And then the next moment was this guy got invited to run the group and he got promoted to managing director ahead of me. But he had started after me and that really hurt. Over time, not standing out started to affect May's career. Well, it felt devastating to me because I realized I hadn't let anybody in on the secret that that was a role I wanted. But it's not like May's an introvert. Far from it. My clients loved me. I always knew exactly what to say. That was my happy place. But put me back in the office with my peers and I totally felt out of my element. I felt like I was not as good as anybody else. And that was the negative self-talk. There's so much going on here. When May is with her clients, her role is clear. She's the expert. They've come to her for her guidance and expertise. And since she's a high performer who actually has that expertise, it's an easy script for her to follow. She knows her role and how to play it. When she's back with her peers, though, it's not clear who should be speaking up when. There are probably power and gender dynamics at play, and that uncertainty and extra pressure can be paralyzing. You just kind of freeze up. And even if you have something amazing to say, it becomes difficult or impossible to get those words out of your mouth. 
This can happen again and again, and eventually you might forget about speaking up altogether and focus on what you can do instead. So my fantasy movie in my head was that they would come to my desk and say, you know, May, we would love for you to run the group. Would you do us that favor? <laughs> then I'd say, well, okay, sure. When um, the world doesn't exactly work that way. So I always thought that I could just work really hard, do a great job, keep my head down, and then all these good things would happen for me in my career. And in the beginning, that worked. But as you get more senior, it gets much more complex than that. For some people, working hard and doing a good job is what sets them apart. They let their work do the talking for them. And yet, at some point, we sort of realize that hard work doesn't always speak for itself that some people naturally have an advantage, uh, but that others have to kind of make one for themselves. Laura Huang is a professor at Harvard Business School. She recently published a book called Edge, Turning Adversity into Advantage. The book is really about this notion that we've been taught from a really young age that hard work is the secret to success. So for shy, insecure, or anxious people like May, if burying your head in the sands of work isn't helping you stand out, what can you do? Especially if speaking out seems difficult to do. How do you take the perceptions and adversity and obstacles and stereotypes of others and flip that around so that you can create your own edge? Edge is the title of her book, but it's also an acronym for the system she says will help you stand out. And it doesn't mean you have to address your colleagues at a company-wide meeting. E stands for enrich, which is about figuring out the value you bring to any situation. What's your value proposition? You figure out how you stand out by figuring out what are your superpowers, those core things that make you who you are. D is for delight. When you're able to delight someone else, that's the equivalent of cracking that door open a little bit and getting that opportunity to really show them how you do enrich and provide value. Think of that as the wow factor. When you demonstrate those superpowers, your strengths, as May did, she's the woman we heard from earlier at the financial firm. After years of getting overlooked for promotion, she was really tired of not standing out. What happened was I almost accidentally ended up inviting my big boss to a big pitch for a new client. And so that ended up being a really big turning point in my career because I really nailed that meeting. For once, May's boss saw her in action where she doesn't get nervous with her clients. This delighted her boss, and May started to stand out. We'll come back to May later, but first, back to Laura Huang's edge. The next letter is G. The G is for guide, which is so critical because even when we enrich and delight others, we need to always be able to guide and redirect people to perceptions of who we are. We're going to talk more about this guiding of perceptions in a sec because it's key to Laura's system. But first, the final E stands for effort effort and hard work. Hard work comes after you determine what value you bring, how that will surprise and delight people, and after you help shape the way people see you. That's when your hard work and effort actually work harder for you. But going back to the G in EDGE, why do you need to guide how people perceive you? 
it doesn't matter who you are, if you walk into a room, there's going to be perceptions that are made about you. I think it's more about knowing the the perceptions that others have of us and what those underlying perceptions are so that we can really flip those perceptions in our favor. But how do you flip those perceptions? Imagine how awkward it would be to go up to a colleague and say, I know what you think of me and this is why you're wrong. <laughs> it probably wouldn't work anyway. And Laura says, in most cases, just working harder won't work either. Here's what she says you should try. Let's take accent for a second, where I find that people who have an accent are less likely to get hired for executive level positions, are less likely to get promotions and raises, are less likely to get funding for their ventures. And the lay view is that they're not as good at communicating. But in fact, the underlying perception that people actually have is that it's about things like how interpersonally influential that person is or how much initiative they take or how well they think outside the box. Obviously, this is just straight up bias. And the accent isn't even the problem. It's the associations people make with it. So this is what Laura tells people she has coached with accents about how to demonstrate their interpersonal influence in job interviews. They'll give examples about that time when they didn't stop until they closed the deal or that time when they fought for resources for their team. It shows the ways in which they are, in fact, interpersonally influential and are a good team player. And so not only are they rated higher in terms of those dimensions, but they're actually just as likely, if not more likely, to then get hired, get the job, get the promotion, and so on and so forth. By guiding the perceptions of others, you can stand out. I find something similar with ageism that older employees, when they're interviewing for jobs, the lay view is that older employees are not as technologically proficient. But in my research, I find that there's underlying perceptions that drive those assumptions, and that's curiosity. People judge that those who are older are not as curious. So Laura tells older employees or candidates to demonstrate curiosity. They'll say things like, you know, I'm really curious about the strategy and the business model and how the founders have found a way to maintain this vision. And not only are they rated higher in terms of things like curiosity, they're rated higher in terms of things like technological proficiency, and they're more likely to get the job. Laura's advice about guiding perceptions is connected to something I teach in my Intro to Organizational Behavior class, a concept from social psychology called individuation. When someone meets us for the first time, they have no real individual information about us, and they're likely to view us through the lens of a group-based stereotype. This might be a gender stereotype, for example. So someone might think, okay, this woman is going to think or act in line with the stereotypes I hold about all women. As people get to know us, they learn more about us and rely less on stereotypes about the social groups we belong to and rely more on what they know about us as a person. This is the process of individuation, and Laura's method of guiding perceptions puts that process on the fast track. You disrupt the stereotype immediately and replace it with the truth of who you really are. So regardless of background or employee level, most people at some point in their lives could benefit from guiding the perceptions others have of them. But what happens when you find yourself working from home all of a sudden? Or if you're a freelancer? Or in any work situation where you don't get a lot of face-to-face -face time with colleagues or bosses? 
What companies are really looking for now is people that are really wanting to be a part of the broader mission. So showing how you've made an impact in your past role or how you made an impact within your educational career is super important. So people that aren't dogmatic in the way that they think, people that are agile, that are willing to change and adjust and flex within an organization. Avery Francis is CEO of Bloom, a recruitment agency that works with startups. Once you get the job, Avery says there's other ways to stand out. My recommendation to stand out would be to think about your own personal brand, to take up space and to talk about the things that you know that you're good at, the things that you're passionate about, and to kind of like tell the people within your community uh, that you're a part of uh, professionally what you stand for and what you're interested in and what your thoughts are and what, and, and, you know, what your experience looks like. Avery says you can stand out in your current role by building your own personal brand, by becoming a bit of a thought leader within your industry. And that conversation is largely happening online. So standing out in this way can continue to happen while working remotely. And if speaking up in a room full of people makes you anxious, this is a stress-free way to do it. That doesn't necessarily mean writing a blog post on LinkedIn every week. That can mean just participating in the conversations that are happening online, you know, on different forums um, within LinkedIn or on Twitter, attaching work and, um, you know, your portfolio, all that stuff to look like you have the experience that you really do, right? You need to talk to people about it. But what exactly should you talk about in order to stand out? Avery says, lead with your passion. And she tells a story about a former colleague a developer who was really passionate about podcasting. What this individual did is he actually developed a podcast uh, within our organization that actually highlighted the technical projects and um, you know conversations that we were having within the organization, which was really interesting. So he took something that, like as a developer, you would never anticipate would be wanting to do this like highly social thing um, that was like bringing people in. It was centered around community and, you know, having these really dynamic and interesting conversations. By pursuing his passion, producing a podcast for his colleagues, but doing it in a way that would convey his knowledge, the developer stood out. And by doing that, he also influenced the wider culture. The times when I've actually grown and been given new opportunities was when I went out of my way to make a big impact, not just in my role, but within the company culture and within the, um, the lives of the people that I worked with. So going back to Laura Huang's edge system for a moment, building a personal brand can delight people and guide their perceptions of you. Because most of it is online, it can help you stand out even if you work from home. And by leading with your passion and delighting your colleagues, it can really help you stand out, especially if it also impacts your company's culture in some way. So I would stand out by, one, being really interactive with team chats and team meetings. Jennifer LaRue runs a company called Citrine Synergy, which specializes in leadership development and change management. And then the second thing is, is helping. So how are you helping both yourself get your work done, but helping other people get their work done? Teamwork is really important, even when working remotely. And maybe you're somebody who's a little bit more tech savvy in your team. So how are you then helping the other people in your team be more tech savvy as well? How are you playing to your strengths? It's just different in this environment, the strengths that you might need. Jennifer's talking about how you can stand out while working from home. 
Interacting with colleagues remotely means you can't rely on some of your in-person, interpersonal skills, but it does offer other opportunities. Jennifer also has some words of caution for young employees looking to stand out. You have to be able to do the job you're hired to do before you can expand on it. So make sure you have your skills down and then you can look to stand out. And if you're just going to focus on doing your job, Jennifer echoes what Laura Huang said about the enriched part of her EDGE program. Figure out what got you hired, what are your strengths, and how can you leverage those to make your environment a stronger place? That same question again. What's your value proposition? What is a unique value that only you can bring to your organization? How can we better focus on our strengths? However, if you can leverage your strengths so everyone can stand out, that's really going to make you shine above everyone else. Because in today's companies, it's not just about you. It's about everyone and how we work together. But the people who can really play together in a team well and really get those wins together are going to be the people that will really help the company to succeed. To stand out, you have to get behind the team first. Now, that might seem a bit counterintuitive, elevating your teammates too, as you try to rise above the crowd. But as company structure breaks down more and more into teams, how you work within a team becomes even more important. But what about if being a part of a team or standing out just doesn't appeal to you? What do you do if you're an introvert? Introverts might have the same work ambitions as their colleagues, but their personalities and the situations they face sometimes clash. Depending on your environment, introverts definitely could struggle to stand out or to just get ahead. Olga Hazan is the author of Weird, a book about how introverts and other so-called outsiders are able to achieve success without completely standing out. Olga is also an introvert. A lot of workplaces are still very dominated by big personalities, groupthink, and, you know, it it can be really hard if you're not a people person (laughs) to uh, thrive in that kind of setting. Introversion is one of the five major dimensions of human personality. Introverts tend to be more quiet and reserved than most people, and they aren't overly interested in socializing. At work, they prefer to work alone. But introversion is different from shyness. Shy people want to socialize, but it makes them anxious. Sort of like May, the woman you heard from at the beginning of the show. It's really hard to advance in a setting when you're not following the social norms of that setting. And if the norms are to be extroverted and super outgoing and you're not, it's really hard to make your mark because you're telling everyone, you know, I'm not going to follow the rules. When extroverts speak up and they get rewarded for it, they get a dopamine hit which they then start to chase by speaking up even more. They might just say stuff to get attention without always considering what they're saying. Introverts don't experience that reward to the same level, so they tend to be much less impulsive. In complex situations, that moment of pause can be critical to success. As a result, introverts tend to be much better listeners than extroverts. And listening is a critical component of effective communication. But if introverts don't speak up, extroverts will dominate the conversation and teams overall suffer because they benefit most when everyone participates, including introverts. So how can introverts become a little less quiet? 
So introversion and extroversion is one of the changeable elements of personality. And all you really have to do is act in ways that embody an extroverted person. So set up lunches with people, network, you want to stay kind of in the mix of everyone else. One tip that I read about that I, I actually have been using myself is this concept called idiosyncrasy credits. And it basically just means getting people to trust you and to feel like you're one of them before you unleash your true personality. She means try to participate in the culture first so you can fit in. Go to team building events, socialize, those kinds of things. Once people learn that you are able to be one of them and that you're able to conform, they kind of start to trust you more to be a little bit more yourself. So then you can kind of subtly start to introduce elements of your personality that are more true to yourself. So you can maybe say, hey, can I work from home, you know, two days a week? You can kind of do the things that are more in line with your personality once people see that you're kind of a team player and that you can, in theory, conform. (laughs) In this way, you can remain engaged in team or company culture, feel a sense of inclusion with your team members, but also carve out some space for what works best for your personality. The same idiosyncrasy approach can be used to change the way your company operates. For example, if the way it operates favors extroverts, it's about changing the system and the structure rather than trying to fix the introverts. Let's say it's like a workplace where brainstorming sessions are all in person and people have to argue about ideas and you're less comfortable with that format. One thing you could do is after you've done that a little bit and like proven that you can technically do that, ask, hey, you know, I wonder if it would be better to just send around a Google Doc of everyone's ideas so that we're not all having to argue with each other in, in a giant group call or something like that. So it doesn't just have to be opting out. It can also be changing the procedures of your workplace. The important thing that I found is just to try to establish yourself as part of the group first. So those are some coping mechanisms for introverts in the office. But so many of us have spent a lot of time working from home recently. The advice for that situation is the same as Olga's in-office tips. As she says, introversion is changeable with practice. So make a realistic list. Say, I'm going to check in on three people today. I'm going to weigh in on these two items in the meeting today. At the same time, these days, introversion is a little more understood in the workplace. If you have a different work style, your needs might be accommodated because even though you might not like social contact, that doesn't mean you can't stand out and rise to the top. It's hard to question the leadership skills of someone like Barack Obama or Marissa Mayer or Bill Gates, all famous introverts. Introverts can be amazing leaders. It's just that they might need to do more work and be more strategic to stand out. And this can require working on different skills, techniques, and coping mechanisms Because, as we're about to hear, leadership doesn't always start at the top. I found it very useful for people in practical life to distinguish leadership from authority, to understand leadership not as a position of power or influence, although power and influence uh, that comes with positions of authority is an an enormously important resource, but uh, to understand leadership then as a practice, and indeed something that people can do from any position. Ron Heifetz teaches leadership at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. He says that you don't always have to be in a position of authority to be a leader in your organization. As I teach in my organizational behavior classes, 
This type of authority or status or position-based power is only one of multiple different foundations of power that people can draw on in organizations. Sometimes the people who are providing the most leadership are not necessarily the people in the highest positions of authority. It may be subordinates who come up with the critical questions or raise the, uh, the creative ideas. In order to practice leadership from any position, it's helpful to understand what Ron means by leadership. It doesn't become leadership until you begin to spot gaps in the organization's values or competencies, problems that I would call adaptive challenges that require us to do three key things. Sift through what's precious and essential from our past. And then the second task is figuring out what to leave behind, what no longer serves us. And then the third is the innovations that will enable us to take the very best of our history into the future. And once you identify an adaptive challenge, it could be an opportunity to stand out. But proceed carefully. When you begin to mobilize adaptive work, it frequently means that you're raising questions that people may not want to hear. It may mean that you're uh, asking people to face information or face data or face contradictions in how they're acting. And that can trigger people's emotions. So this is where the value of networks and relationships enter into the picture. Young people with enthusiastic ideas get themselves in trouble when they just blurt out their three creative ideas in the middle of a meeting and not realizing how much they're disturbing other people's agenda and not having done their homework to figure out who to talk to first and which issue to, to frame first and maybe breaking a big issue down into three smaller issues. So the artistry of leadership then has a lot to do with the framing of the issue that you're going to raise in order to begin to socialize the people around you without having an allergic reaction and then spitting it out and maybe also damaging your own credibility or job in the process. So by identifying an adaptive challenge, understanding your level of influence, both formal and informal, assessing the emotional demands of the challenge, and then mobilizing your networks, you can demonstrate leadership and therefore stand out. But early in your career, Ron thinks you should be focusing on something else first. I don't think the point is to show that you can be a leader. I think what you show people is that you're worthy of trust. And, and really then that means that you're worthy of authority and worthy then to be promoted, that you're worthy of being trusted with more and more responsibility. This aligns with what Jennifer LaRue teaches her clients. If I'm a leader and I'm going to give you work to do, I want to know you can do it. So I also want to know that if you don't understand, you're going to reach out and ask me the questions you need to ask in that moment. Building trust and focusing on your strengths is how she says you first start to stand out. This is what companies are looking for in their people and leaders. But what about when you've taken those first steps and you're ready for more? If you want to be on bigger projects, what can you do in your current projects that can show that you're ready for something bigger? If you want to stand out and you want to make yourself known, you also have to be honest about what you're willing to do and what you're looking for in your role. Because people don't know. You have to be a positive impact on your company in order to get those things. But unless you tell somebody that's what you want, how are they going to know? And this is exactly the advice that May the woman at that financial firm heard from her boss. He said, May, you are just as good as those guys, if not better. 
I want you to speak up. I want you to just act like it. You know, you can't do a personality transplant, but it really helped. And I started play that tape back in my head. And it just became clear to me that it was really my own behavior and confidence level, even showing that I had ambition. I didn't have the words or the script. And I started to treat some of my internal stakeholders more like clients. And I would then speak to them more regularly, keep them more updated on what I was doing and um, create more advocates in advance of when those promotion conversations were going to happen. Then I was asked to co-head a part of the bigger group. May had the hard work covered, but it wasn't until she focused on her strengths, delighted her supervisors, and guided the perceptions of her colleagues that things started to change. And there's so much more you can do to stand out. Support your team members, build a personal brand, use your digital presence to elevate your profile, work through introversion or adjust for extroversion or address anxiety and practice leadership. It also helps to start out slow, know who you are, create a good network, and most of all, learn how to speak out. Thanks for listening to For the Love of Work, an original podcast made possible by Rogers. Find us at fortheloveofwork.ca. I'm Sonia Kang. Talk soon.